kicked off a series last week. We finished, recently finished a series on the book of Matthew, but we kicked off a series last week called Building Stronger Homes. And part of what we said last week is that the mission of the family, the mission of the family and uh, the aim of parenting is raising our children to follow Jesus. Okay? So what we want to do is, is like, uh, you know, people will remark about, they'll remark about, about Cass, my oldest daughter Cass, and my daughter Faith. And then sometimes people will say that, that, talk about how they look like their mom, which is a good thing, right? It's better they look like mom than dad, all right? Uh, but people will say, you know, they'll make a comment about how they look like mom, or they'll call them a mini-me or whatever. And what we want to do is we don't want to raise children who look like us. We want to raise children who look like Jesus. And that is the aim of parenting. And that is the mission of the family, is to raise children who look like Jesus. That means that we want to raise children who look more and more like Jesus in their thinking. Okay, So we, we want them to look more and more like Jesus. It's more important than learning how to throw a baseball. Okay, It is. It's more important than learning how to throw a baseball. It's more important than getting better on the piano. It's more important... More important than, than becoming a ballerina or getting straight A's in school or whatever you want to help your children get better at. The most important thing our children need is they need to become more like Jesus in their thinking, in their affections, in their attitudes, and then in their actions. That's what we want. That's the aim of parenting, and that's the mission of the family, raising children who look more and more like Jesus. Uh, Today we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. So if you have your Bible, I encourage you to open up to that. We're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. I'll talk to you a little bit more about that in a moment. Uh, When I was 35 years old, I became a dad for the first time, 35. I got married a little bit later in life. All right, I had an extended adolescence. Uh, I got married a little bit later in life. And so my first child, Caleb, came along uh, when, when I was 35. So he's 24 today, so do the math, I'm 59, right? I'll be 60 in September. But uh, when Caleb was born, I had a lot of different kinds of life experience. I mean, I had done a lot of things that, you know, I'd spent a year working in Eastern Europe uh, back during, in, 19, in the middle of the Cold War, back in 1980, 1981, uh, I remember getting on a train in Budapest, Hungary, or, or excuse me, in Vienna, getting off the train in Budapest, Hungary. I remember crossing at the border, the huge barbed wire fences, the soldiers with machine guns, the guard dogs, all of that kind of stuff. I remember them coming through my cabin, uh, talking to me, asking me questions. And the first few times going through, every time it felt tense later, I got to where it didn't bother me as much. But in those early days, I got off in Budapest. I, I, I didn't have any Hungarian money. I did not know a single person living there. I could not speak a single word of Hungarian. And I was going to start a ministry. I was going to start a, I, I was going to start a ministry from scratch. I did not feel intimidated. Fast forward my life. About 15 years, okay, so I was about 20, almost 21 when I went into Hungary for the first time. Fast forward my life, 15 years later, I am a first-time dad. Joy has just had a C-section, which means that she can't stand up. She can't do a lot. We're still in the hospital. The nurse is not available, and the baby's diaper needs to be changed. Guess who gets to do it? I kid you not, I felt 
so inadequate. I had never changed a diaper in my life. I had seldom held a baby. And I thought, I am so not ready. Could we wait another 35 years? <laughs> it was like I felt inadequate. Now, sometimes, sometimes as a parent, uh, if you are a parent, or one day if you're going to become a parent, just understand that sometimes we can feel very inadequate. We can feel very unready for something that we're getting ready to go through that we're watching our children go through. That sometimes we can feel absolutely overwhelmed. That's not an uncommon experience. And so what we want to talk about today is we want to talk about how to be ready to parent our children. How to be ready when we face all different kinds of situations, when we're facing them for the very first time, when we wish we could have had a training class on whatever it is that we're now facing. Uh, in, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, the Bible summarizes for us the work of parenting. And what I did is uh, I'm actually going to be preaching from... Um, I mean, preaching from the NIV Bible, but I actually have put it up here. Uh, we put it up here in the New American Standard. Uh, let me just kind of give you a little bit of context for what we're looking at today. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, that, that in, in the book of Ephesians, the first three chapters is all about doctrine. Okay? The Apostle Paul is writing to a church in Ephesus. Ephesus was a city where he spent about three years. It was a church that he had started. He had founded the church. And here it was years later. Uh, he's writing to them, and he's writing to them about doctrine, the first three chapters. And in the, the last three chapters, he's talking to them about life practice. So in the first part of chapter 4, verses 1 through 16, he talks to the church about what does Christian maturity look like? What does Christian maturity look like? What does unity in the church look like? Then in chapter 4, verse 17, to chapter 5, verse 20, he talks to us about Christian conduct. What, and he talks to us about something about what he calls being filled with the Spirit. And then in chapter 5, verse 21, through chapter 6, verse 9, he talks to us about family dynamics. That's where we're at today. He talks to us about family dynamics. And then immediately after that, he talks to us about spiritual warfare. And I think he talks to us about spiritual warfare because that's sometimes we feel that the most in family dynamics, all right? Uh, but he talks to us about that. And so today what we want to look at, and actually what I'm going to do is I'm going to read for you verse 4, but I want to back up. I want to read for you the first three verses. In, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. By the way, this was the very first Bible verse my mom made me memorize, okay? Children, obey your parents. I remember as a little boy, I didn't even know what a parent was. I knew what a mom was. I knew what a dad was. But so I, I, anyway, I, I thought parents. kind of sounds like carrots to me as a little kid, you know? But children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. By the way, obey your parents. Word parents there. Interesting word. You know what it means? It means parents. Okay? That's what it means. All right? There's a reason why I'm saying this. All right? Obey uh, your parents. Honor your father. Father. Okay? Uh, the Greek word here is, is pater. Okay? Pater. And then... And then um, and, and then uh, uh, honor your father and your mother, mater, okay, like mater, you know, lightning McQueen. Anyway, all right. So, so there's potter, there's, you know, there's father, there's mother, okay? And he says, honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. And then in verse 4, it says this, it says, fathers, fathers, 
Okay, I'm talking to fathers here, and it's Mother's Day. All right? I'm talking to fathers here, it's Mother's Day, but I'm going to talk to moms too, okay? Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Interesting. Why does Paul feel the need to speak to dads here? Now, some people believe fathers here is representative of moms and dads. It's representative of parents. Interesting. Interesting. Interesting thought, but I think inconsistent with the text. Because if he was speaking to moms and to dads, both, he would go back to the word that he used in verse 1. Doesn't that make sense? Makes perfect sense. We always interpret, understand the text in the context. But he's speaking especially to dads, but moms, sometimes you need to pay attention to this as well. All right? Because it's not just dads who sometimes exasperate their children, although, although, I do think sometimes we can do a better job of it, all right? Uh, Hence, the reason we need to pay attention to it. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training, in the instruction of the Lord, okay? Bring them up in the training. The American Standard says uh, the discipline of the Lord. By the way, uh, if you have an NIV Bible, it says training. Uh, If you are using a New American Standard, English Standard Version, New Living Translation, or New Revised Standard Version, all of them translate the word here uh, as discipline, okay? Bring them up in the discipline of the Lord. Uh, If you are using an NIV Bible or perhaps the Holman Christian Standard Bible uh, or maybe I think the New King James, all of them have have training down here. Now, there's a reason why. There's a reason why those different translations understand the word a little bit differently. We're going to get to that. But there are three major takeaways for you here today. These takeaways are for dads. They are for dads, but they're also also for moms. Three very important principles about raising children. And the first principle is this. Pay attention to, you need to pay attention to this. I do too. Pay attention to and work on the things that you do that frustrate and discourage your children. You need to pay attention to it. If you do not know what it is that you do that either frustrates or discourages your children, you need to figure it out. Because if you tell me you never do anything that frustrates or discourages your children, my guess is you've never really asked them or thought about it. Okay? Um, I, I, I really don't think we have a perfect parent here today. I think we have a lot of growing parents here. I think we have a lot of really neat parents here. That's what I think. But I also think that all of us have to work at that. And we need to pay attention to and we need to work on the things that we can do that frustrate and discourage our children. And why do I say that? Well, I mean, the Bible says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. By the way, Colossians chapter 3 verse 21 says almost the same thing but in slightly different words. In Colossians chapter 3 verse 21 it says, fathers, do not embitter. Do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. See, if we're not careful, there are things that we can do that embitter, that enrage, that provoke, that discourage, that dishearten our children. And we've got to pay attention to this. We've got to pay attention to this. Really? Does that really happen? Interesting. I was reading a book this last week, not preparing for this message, just picked it up. Uh, I picked it up. I started reading it. It's a book by Gene Getz. I've read it before. It's been, I don't know, a few years ago. The book's been around for 45 years. I mean, it's an older book. Great book. on. It's called The Measure of a Man. It's one of the very first books 
men's books. There have been a lot of books written about manhood and being God's man and all that kind of good stuff. But this was like on the front end of all of that. And, uh, and it was interesting as I was reading it, he was telling a story about how he was working on a message. Gene Getz was working on a message that he was going to share with his church. So he pulled aside his, his young daughter at that time. She was eight years old, pulls her aside and he says, honey, uh, can I share with you what I'm going to do on Sunday? And so she's like, of course, you know, and, you know, or whatever an eight year old daughter does, but you know, she is, she's listening. And then he asked his daughter, so honey, is there, you know, uh, as I talk about this, is there an area in my life that you think might need some work uh, before I actually direct this, you know, deliver this message to my church? Now, that is a, I, I think that is a, that's an incredibly humble and wise thing for a pastor to do, for a dad to do. And he said, she said, well, dad, there's one thing. She began to tear up a little bit. She began to tear up a little bit. She said, you know, sometimes, sometimes, I feel like when I'm talking to you about something that's really important for me that happened earlier in the day, sometimes I don't feel like you're really listening. And when she said that, Gene Getz was just like he said, it, you know, he, he just felt really convicted because he knew it was true. Because sometimes his mind was still in the office. I don't know if you ever had that experience, man, when you come home. Sometimes he felt like his mind was still in the office or sometimes he was thinking about either a ministry program in the church or a message that he was working on. Folks, I do this all the time. I, I'm really bad at this. And, and, uh, so, and, and, but he realized that what she shared with him, he really needed to listen to. And he needed to work on that area of his life. Uh, this last week, one of the things that I did was I asked Joy, I said, Joy, what do you feel like are some of the things that I might do or that I occasionally do that either uh, frustrate or discourage our kids? And what Joy told me is she said, well, she said, first of all, I think you're a really good dad. And then she said it again, okay? <laughs> she said it two or three times. She wanted to make sure that the message got through to me, that she feels like I'm a good dad. But she says, sometimes I feel like you can be a contrarian. With the kids, sometimes I feel like you can be a contrarian. Uh, you, you're kind of bringing up or focusing on the other side of something. And she said, sometimes I feel like when they're talking, you don't let them finish before you start sharing with them what you think. And so, right in mid sentence, I said, "No, no, no, just kidding." <laughs> so, uh, but she she shared that with me. I, I asked uh, I asked Faith. I said. Faith, I, uh, you know, I want to know from you, I, what, what, do you what, is it, what do I do sometimes as your dad that might either frustrate you or that might discourage you? And this is what she said. <laughs> she said, well, sometimes when I'm driving, you'll tell me the obvious. Turn here, slow down. <laughs> and I tell her the obvious. And, and it was really funny because she and Cash were on the phone at the same time and Somehow the conversation went to her driver's test and how many answers she got wrong. And then Cass said, no wonder Dad tells you what to do. <laughs> so then I, I asked Cass, I said, Cass, what do I do? What do I do that either discourages you or frustrates you? And she says, well, basically you're too much like me. <laughs> That's what Cass said. So it, it, sometimes our similarities will clash with each other. 
And, uh, and, and, but and I had the same kind of conversation with Caleb. But I think sometimes what we need to do is we need to pay attention to what are the things that we either we say or that we do that we may not even realize we're doing it in the moment. Uh, and they're probably not going to tell us unless we ask them. But, but pay attention to work on the things that you do that frustrate and discourage your children. Let me just give you a list of a few things that you, you might need to attend to. Number one, number one I would say uh, being unpleasable. Being unpleasable. You, your children can never quite measure up. You could have done better or you should have done better. If you had worked harder, you would have done better on that test. Okay? Being unpleasable. It's like that, you know, you hold the carrot in front of them, but they never feel like they can attain to it. And what can happen is they become discouraged and they get to where, why try? Okay? But being unpleasable. Uh, sometimes uh, being overly harsh. Being harsh uh, can really uh, anger children or discourage children. Uh, being too lax, not giving them boundaries, just letting them, you know, uh, get away with murder. It, it, it's not good. It's not good for them. Uh, that, that, that being passive, being fat, passive, favoring one child over another. When you read through the Bible, we see this a lot, where one parent will favor one child, another parent will fa- favor another child, and it creates conflict in, in the family. Uh, telling our children to live one way while we're living another way, okay? That we tell them, don't do that, but meanwhile, we're doing it. Or do this, meanwhile, we're not doing it. But we tell them to, to live one way while we're living another. Uh, not keeping our promises. Not keeping our Say we're going to do something and we don't get it done. Um, uh, being undisciplined, inconsistent in how we discipline. Uh, or disciplining our children in anger or while we're frustrated. And, and so uh, what we need to do is we need to pay attention to, work on the things that frustrate, discourage our children. If there's an area of our life where we need to repent, we need to do that. Okay? Repentance isn't something you do just to become a Christian. Repentance is what you do to walk in fellowship with Jesus over a lifetime. Though we're supposed to be continually walking in repentance. And where we're messing up with our kids, we need to repent. Number two, we need to be willing to submit to Jesus. The truth is, some change is really, really hard. It is. There are some habit patterns, relational patterns that we have that are hard, and we need to be willing to submit to Jesus. And we can't change without his help. Uh, number three, uh, I think a lot of times it's wise to seek out accountability and encouragement from others who are actively following Jesus. And then number four, you absolutely must humble yourself, humble, humble yourself and make amends where you have or where you are messing up. You've got to make amends to your kids. got to do that. Just got to do that. You got to say, you know what? I was wrong and when I, when I did that or I was wrong. I've been wrong in this practice in my life. I'm very, very sorry. Will you forgive me? But we got to make amends. Folks, if you're not making amends with your children, that, that is huge. That is so huge. Um, but we got to do that. We've got to be willing to do those things. Number two, uh, first takeaway from the text is pay attention to work on things that you do that frustrate, discourage your children. Number two, discipline your children for their good. Okay? Discipline your children for their good. Do not discipline your children because you feel frustrated or irritated. You understand what I'm saying here? If you're frustrated or irritated, you know who needs discipline? You do. 
If I feel frustrated and irritated, it's me who needs to be disciplined. It's me who needs to go to my room so I can kind of settle down before I talk with them about what I'm concerned about. Are, are you with me here? Is that we need to discipline our children for their good, not just taking out our frustration on them. The scripture says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline of the Lord. And I, I told you a moment ago that, that sometimes this word is, tra- the, the word is paideia, okay? It's a Greek word, paideia. And uh, it, sometimes it's translated as discipline, and sometimes it's translated as training. The reason for that is that sometimes words can have a very narrow field of meaning. Sometimes they can have multiple fields of meaning. So, for example, if we take the word joint, okay, it could mean my elbow, Right? Or when I was 16 years old, it could mean something I smoked in the boys' room that I wasn't supposed to smoke, okay? It, it, it can mean, it can mean a, a, a honky-tonk uh, where they're playing country and western music and, and drinking beer, okay? A joint can be all kinds of things. It can't be all those things at once. It can be different ones of those things. But sometimes words have multiple fields of meaning. Sometimes words have a very narrow field of meaning. And sometimes words have a very broad field of meaning. Paideia has a very broad field of meaning, okay? And what it means is it means that, that, that with paideia, with, with this word, is that sometimes it means discipline, corrective, and sometimes it means discipline, formative. What do I mean by that? Well, an example of this, we can see this, the first side of paideia is corrective. Hebrews chapter 12, 11 captures this when it says, no discipline Paideia, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. It's corrective discipline. And here it talks about the way a dad disciplines a son that he loves. And then he talks just about how God sometimes disciplines us as sons, daughters that he loves. Okay? So there's that corrective side. We see this in the Old Testament Proverbs chapter 22, verse 15, if you read the Greek version of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, it says this, it says, folly, foolishness, is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of paideia, of discipline, the rod of paideia, discipline, will drive it far away. It's that corrective part of discipline, okay? So, a couple thoughts about this, a couple thoughts about this. When we're bringing collective or corrective discipline to our children, uh, I'm going to say I'm gonna, four things it must not be. Okay, four things that 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 discipline must not be. Number one, it must not be temperamental in a fit of anger. Must not be. If it's temperamental in a fit of anger, it goes from being discipline to abuse. You understand that? If it is temperamental. If it is in a fit of anger, you cross a line from discipline to being very undisciplined and abusing. Verbally, physically, emotionally. The you, when, when, if, if you are disciplined out of rage and anger, you're crossing a line. And that's a line, if you've crossed that line, you need to seek forgiveness, you need to make amends. You also need to take steps to make sure you don't do it again. Okay? 
You, you just simply, that's a line that we cannot afford to cross. Number two, it must not be indulgently avoiding an unpleasant encounter with our child. If some people are disciplining their children in a fit of anger, there are some people, they don't discipline their kids at all. Okay? They just kind of let them run. And, 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 and that's, not, that's not good. In fact, you know, it's interesting. Earlier in Proverbs, it says that... that uh, that the parent that withholds discipline from their children hates their child. That really sounds like harsh words, but but I think that 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 the the writer Proverbs there is trying to get our attention. He's saying, "Hey, listen, your children need discipline for their good, for their good. And if you withhold it from them, it's like withholding love. It's like withholding love. In fact, in Hebrews, when it talks about God disciplining us, it says if we're not disciplined by God, it's it means that we're not truly sons of God, daughters of God. Uh, so we need, uh, so, we, so we don't want to be temperamental, fit of anger. We don't want to be adult, indulgently avoiding an unpleasant encounter with our child. Number three, uh, third thing, it must not be, it must not be inconsistent, lacking in clearly defined boundaries and clearly defined consequences, okay? Must not be uh, inconsistent. You know, the, you know, you're disciplining them for something one day. But the next day, you ignore it altogether. Then the next day, boom, you go ballistic on them on the same issue. You need to be consistent, not consistently ballistic. Ballistic's not good, okay? But you need to be consistent. And and then finally, uh, not humiliating or shaming. So what does discipline need to be? Number one, it needs to be clearly. You need to have clearly defined boundaries of what is and isn't acceptable conduct and attitudes, and clearly defined consequences. Clearly defined boundaries, clearly defined consequences. Clearly defined boundaries, and clearly defined consequences. Number two, number two, uh, it, it needs to be firm, not mean, not harsh, but firm. Okay. Number three, it needs to be self-controlled. You in full control of yourself. By the way, self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. It needs to be self-controlled, okay? Uh, four, it needs to be consistent. It needs to be consistent. Five, it needs to be age-appropriate. Let me give you an example here, okay? When my kids were really, really young, <laughs> I'll, I'll use Cass as an example. She's the easiest one to, to do this on, okay? First of all, Cass, uh, I love my daughter. I do. She, um, I, you know, I love all three of my kids, but she... Uh, she was the one, I, I can remember when Caleb, you know, Caleb was a little bit older. He was about a year and a half older. I, I would tell Caleb, don't do that. Cass would look at me, make eye contact, walk over, do exactly what I told Caleb not to do. <laughs> now, I could try to lecture her. I could try to reason with her. By the way, anybody ever tried to reason with a two-year-old? <laughs> Usually doesn't work real well. Um, you know, what I did was, and what Joy would do, okay, give her a swat. That's what it was. You defy us, you get a swat on the backside, okay? Uh, but that's what we did, all right? So we, we, um, what we would do is we would give age-appropriate attention-getting consequences. See, there are some consequences that don't get their attention, and there are some consequences that do. But it was also age-appropriate. So, you know, uh, as our kids aged, we found that there were other consequences that worked better for them. So I can remember when Cass was, I don't know, she's probably like seven or eight, six or seven, something like that. Maybe not that old. She may have been younger. I can't remember. But, 
Joy had told her not to do something. She did it. And, and so Joy gave her a choice. You can either have a swat or you get to have a cookie with the rest of us. Joy had been making some homemade cookies. And she said, I want a swat. <laughs> the truth is, is what she really needed is she needed to not have the cookie, okay? Because she felt like I could take the swat any time. That's no big deal. But she wanted the cookie. But, you know, discipline as your children mature, uh, there are different kinds of discipline that work better for them. And by the way, this is also what I saw with three different kids. Different discipline worked better with different ones. It wasn't always one size fits all. A lot of times it was different. With um, Okay, so it needs to be uh, age appropriate. It needs to be attention getting consequences. Number seven, it needs to be for their good. Never venting our anger, frustration, irritation. Our practice in our home when the children were really small is one to three swats when they were young, depending upon the seriousness of the fence. If it was a simple offense, they got a single swat. If it was more serious, they got two swats. If it was a really bad one, like we struggled with Cass when she was little, she liked to put her finger in people's eyes. Now, that's something you can't allow a child to do. You can't lecture them about that. They show up at church the next week and they poke your child in the eye. You're not going to be happy with that. She needed to learn. You cannot do that. So she would get three swats in a little time in her room. Okay? So in our home, we had one to three swats when they were young. And then as they got older, we used more age-appropriate, sometimes grounding. Sometimes they got to sit on the stairs. Sometimes they didn't get to play with their PlayStation game or whatever. But we used different kinds of discipline. Number two, never in anger. Okay, I shouldn't say never in anger because I'm sure there was a time where I disciplined in anger. Uh, but, but for the most part, I think we never disciplined in anger. Okay, Number three, we explained beforehand why they were getting the d- discipline that they were. This is why we're doing this. Okay, This is what we want in you. This is what we don't want. So we would always explain to them the reason. Uh, and then... Uh, if it was a spanking or whatever it was, it, we would do that. Then afterwards, we would ask them, do you know why you had to sit on the stairs? And they would always tell us why. They would always tell us why. Okay? And then finally, uh, we hugged them, reaffirmed our love for them. Excuse me. Uh, number six, our aim, our aim, we wanted to know, um, we wanted them to know what was, what wasn't acceptable, and we wanted them to know that they were cherished. That was our aim. I'm not saying we did it perfectly. We did it very imperfectly. That's what everybody does. Nobody does anything perfectly. But we try to do it consistently. But, but giving your children, discipline your children for their good. So I talked about paideia being corrective, but paideia is more than corrective. Paideia is also formative. So remember what I read to you before from Hebrews. No, paideia discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace. See, that's our aim. We want righteousness and peace in the lives of our children. And it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained, paideia, who have been trained by it. See, now we're looking at the formative side of paideia. So, for example, we see that in the word in, in, in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, the Bible says that all Scripture, all of the Bible, is inspired by God. Okay, all of it is inspired by God, and it's pros- profitable. It has value. Uh, all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, 
uh, all, all scriptures inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. That's what we're trying. Our aim is to grow, develop, be adequate, equipped for every good work. And our training should do that. So, so this side of paideia is like the training that an athlete enters into to win the Olympics. Okay? So training, paideia, discipline, needs to be both corrective and formative, always for their good. Finally, third thing I want to give you today is this. Bring your children up in the instruction of the Lord. Bring them up in the instruction of the Lord. Uh, Again, verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. See, children need discipline, but they also need instruction. They need instruction. Now, one thing I want to say to you real quick, and I think I need to say this. I just think it's hugely important, especially for those of you who have younger children. It is so easy to fill up our our children's lives with activity. It is. I'm just going to, you know, I mean, Joy and I, we went through that experience. You got one kid in this sport, one kid in this sport, one kid on this field, another kid on this field. The other one's being carried around in tow everywhere her older brother and older sister are going. And, and it's easy to fill up our children's lives with so much activity that we think our children need. That if we're not careful, we don't give them what's most important. Okay? So my son loves sports, and we made time for sports. But we also made sure that we were making time for their spiritual lives. We made sure that we had time together as a family every night for dinner. We did it every night. So sometimes it was before practice, sometimes it was after practice, but we always spent time together as a family. We always prayed together. We did not always read the Bible together, but we did read the Bible, and we did teach our children things from Scripture, okay? And and one of the things that I want to encourage you to do is do not let children's activity take you away from what's most important. By the way, I, I would say weekly worship is most important. I would. I do. I, I just think it's important that you are, as a family, worshiping together on a weekly basis. I just think that's something we see taught in the Scripture. You see it in the Old Testament. You see it in the New Testament. The people of God coming together for the purpose of worship. And what I would say is that, 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 that worship together as a family is hugely important, first of all, because God is awesome. And our kids need to know that. Okay? And if we're not treating God as awesome on a Sunday or a time of regular, routine worship with the people of God, our kids are going to get that message. And so I think there needs to be that, that our children need us to lead them and worshiping together with the people of God because God is awesome, because you are made to worship, and what you worship shapes your life and destiny. So if you're not worshiping God, you're going to be worshiping something else. It's going to be a favorite sports team. It's going to be a career. It's going to be something else. But worship is hugely important, and it's really wise to worship God as opposed to all these other things. So you're made to worship, and what you worship shapes your life and, and destiny, and it shapes the lives and destiny of your children. It has a way of reminding us, us and our children, of what's really important in life. It recalibrates the soul, even though our children don't understand what that means. It does. 
It, it, it can add richness to our daily life. It expands our heart, soul, and mind with gratitude and praise. It adds depth to our connection with God. It increases our appetite for what's good, healthy, and holy. It frees us from what one of my prophets used to call the suck of self. All right? Just that self-centeredness, self-absorption. Worship has a way of freeing us from that. Because we realize that God deserves first place, not Gary. Uh, And then number 10, it lifts us above the enticement of lesser things. Our children need this in us. Um, The mission of the family and the aim of parenting is raising children to follow Jesus. So they're becoming more like him in their thinking, their attitudes, their affections, and their actions. How do we do this? By paying attention and working on the things in our lives that frustrate, discourage our children. By disciplining our children for their good. And by bringing up our children in the instruction of the Lord. Let's pray. God, today... um, uh, some of us come here, and we've been doing this parenting thing for a long time. Some of us, maybe we're looking forward to being parents for the very first time. But all of us come here at different places in our lives. And, Lord, what we want to do and what we want to get better at is we really want to get, get better at following Jesus. We, we do. We really want to get better at becoming more like him in those different areas, our thinking, affection, attitudes, and actions. And, God, we really want to do a really good job of leading our children in following Jesus, so they become more like him as well. Lord, we want to do this in our homes. We want to do this in our church. Uh, God, I want to pray for every parent here that you give them the wisdom and that you give them the grace they need in raising their children in a way that brings honor and glory to you. And I pray this in Christ's name and for your glory. Amen.